That was that as we were going to be worshiping, there was just going to be a flood of the Holy Spirit kind of coming across this whole place. And, you know, I, I believe that where two or more are gathered, the Word of God says that Jesus Christ is here in the midst of us. But you can decide that you're going to go with the flood and just let the Holy Spirit take you. Or you can try to swim upstream, man, and you're just going to get tired. It's going to be frustrating. It's going to be awful. So as we close worship and, and enter into a time of the message, would you agree with me in prayer that we want to surrender to what God has for us? We want to flow with where he's taking us this morning because I know it's going to be good. Why? Because God only does good things. Amen. So if you're comfortable, would you raise your hands with me as we pray together? Father God, I thank you, Lord Jesus, for the Spirit's move here this morning. Thank you that you're here to touch lives. You're here to touch hearts, Lord. You're, you're here to bring hope and encouragement. Thank you, Jesus, that you are risen. You are ascended to the Father. And because of that, you have sent the Holy Spirit. So we worship you this morning, risen King, our Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Well, it's so good to see all of you this morning. It's so good to see people in the balcony. Let's give them a hand. Yeah. And thank you for joining us online this morning as well. My name is Greg Vaccaro. I co-pastor with Ed Hires. So good morning and happy Easter. We uh, have been spending the last four weeks in an Easter series called Eyewitness Accounts. So what do we mean? Like we're not the eyewitnesses. I wasn't there. I don't think you were there when Jesus was, was betrayed and he was taken to the cross. But we're looking at people that lived the life with Jesus. They saw it firsthand. And we're hearing their stories and kind of putting ourselves in, the, in their position to understand what was it like when Jesus was here on the earth. What was it like to see him go to the cross? So we started week one of this series with a message called Jesus' Life Shows Us His Message Is For Everyone. And in that, in that uh, sermon, we looked at a story that was uh, the adulterous woman being brought before Jesus. And all of the scribes said, the word of God, the, the, the law would tell us, Jesus, that she needs to be stoned to death for her sin. What do you say? And you might remember, I asked a question, does the word of God really say that? Like, is it okay to challenge a scribe and a Pharisee when you're just a peon that comes to the temple and you never get to read the Torah? See, the word of God didn't say that. It said if a man is caught sleeping with a woman, you need to bring them both out. But the scribes were using this woman just as a prop. So Jesus looked at the mob and said, let the one without sin cast the first stone. And you know what? One by one, they started to drop their stones because they all recognized they had sin. And then Jesus asked the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't one of them condemn you? And then Jesus said to her, neither do I. Go and sin no more. So it shows us God's love is for all of us this morning. His message is for everyone. You, you may be the worst person. You may be the best person. But guess what? You're all still sinners. I'm a sinner too. And God's, God's standard is perfection. And that's what we covered in answering the hard questions. Josh, Josh brought a great message and he said, hey, do you ever have a three-year-old and get asked the question, why daddy? Why mommy? Why? 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 Like it's just a question that constantly comes at you. But why did Jesus have to die? Why did he have to die? Like God, couldn't you have done this any other way? Really? You got to take your son and you have to see your son sacrifice and die? See, the point is this. We see all throughout the Old Testament that there needed to be a blood sacrifice for sin. And God's standard is perfection. 
Any of us perfect here? No, there's none of us that would raise our hand. So we're all sinners. We all fall short of God's standard of perfection. That's why we needed a lamb in the Old Testament. We needed a bull. But Jesus came as the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. That's what John the Baptist said about him. He's the final sacrifice. So why do we need a savior? Because sin stands in the way. That's the hard question. Why did he have to die? Last week, Steve preached a message, first person as a Roman centurion. And he took us all the way from Jesus entering Jerusalem to what it looked like when he was on, uh, at the cross at Golgotha. And then when he was, he's put in the grave. The earthquake that happened, the temple veil that separated man from God being spontaneously and miraculously torn from top to bottom. An earthquake couldn't do that. Right? If the earthquake's going to tear the veil, it's got no seams. The sides of the temple would have to to collapse. But God just took it and tore it. Why? Because it signified that there was a new age. That now we could have access to Jesus Christ. We could have access to God the Father because of the blood of Jesus. That all of us can be in relationship with him. Jesus' sacrifice is enough. So this morning, I've titled the message, Resurrection Life up close and personal, because we're going to be looking at two eyewitness accounts this morning. One is found in scripture. One is from someone here in our body, their eyewitness account. And we're going to be going first person. The first person we're going to look at is Mary Magdalene, who was the first person to see Jesus after he was raised from the dead. We're going to turn to Matthew, or we're going to turn to John 20, verse 1. And it says, early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. This wasn't just like a little stone. I don't know if your kids play in the backyard and they kind of roll stones over holes or something like, this was a stone, people, right? This is not something that you or I, let alone Mary, I don't know what she was thinking going there by herself, like how is she going to roll this stone away? But she gets there, she finds this stone rolled away. So who is Mary? Why is she going? Why is she going to the tomb this morning? Matthew 28 tells us there was four followers of Jesus at the cross. There may have been more, but it only mentions the four. I kind of think there's probably only the four. One of them was Mary, the mother of Jesus. One of them was John, the disciple. One of them was Mary Magdalene. And one of them, it says, was the other Mary. Not to be confused, by the way, with Mary and Martha, who uh, had their brother Lazarus, who was raised from the dead. So there's a lot of Marys we find in the Bible. Now, maybe they could take a page out of the book of our ushers, right? We've got three ushers named John. If you ever see him ushering, it's one John, two John, three John, right? But they just call him Mary, the other Mary. Like they don't don't tell you who's who. So what do we know about Mary Magdalene? She's making the trek to the tomb alone. She was an earlier follower of Jesus. She not only traveled with him, but it says she contributed to the needs of the group. She was a monthly supporter. It's a good thing. Her life was miraculously freed one day and changed forever when Jesus cast seven demons out of her, right? Imagine being bound by seven demons and now being set free. It's going to change your life. It's going to be amazing. Mary's faith was not complicated. It was direct. It was genuine. And she's leaving this morning very early to go to the grave. Why? Because she's got a plan. She's got got a purpose. She wants to bring spices and anoint Jesus' body. So she gets there. And when she gets there, she finds there's no, there's the, the stone is rolled away, there's no body. So she runs back to tell Peter and John, and then craziness ensues. Peter and John, like they have a race to the, to the grave. 
Peter gets there first and he notices uh, that he doesn't go into the tomb, but he notices that Jesus' body is not there. He sees the, the linen grave clothes just laying down there. John gets there second. He's probably older, a little slower maybe. But John goes right in and he sees the linen clothes. He sees the head wrapping of Jesus neatly folded and placed next to, next to where the, the linen wrappings are. And this is where we pick up the story in verse 11. It says, Mary was standing outside the tomb crying. She was standing there because Peter and John, they found no body. They went home. They left. Mary just, she couldn't believe it. Like she had come with a plan and there's no body. So she's standing there crying. And as she wept, she stooped and looked in and she saw two white robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they've taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they've put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was a gardener. Sir, she said, if you've taken him away, tell me where you've put him and I will go get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which is Hebrew for teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But go, find my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to the Father, your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I've seen the Lord. Then she gave them the message. So as we read this account, you might have noticed I had a couple things written in blue. I want to go back to them because... Twice this question was asked of Mary, once by the angel and then once by Jesus. Why are you crying? And then Jesus followed up with, who are you looking for? So I want to just take a moment and dig deeper into why are you crying? Who are you looking for? Why do you think Mary was crying that day? I think she's just overwhelmed and overcome. Right, Mary's probably a high D like me, very results driven. She's got a plan. She's going to do what? She's going to put spices on the body. And now there's no body, right? How do you do? How do you accomplish what you set out to do? There's no body. Like, who would have done this? What could have happened? Like, not, not after this. It's overwhelming. It's crushing. Like, not, not one more thing. I would cry, right? Have you, have you ever had an expectation and that expectation has just been drastically missed? Right? It, it causes us to just be like, oh my gosh, like not another thing. How could this be happening? Death also has a way of surprising us and causing us to think about things we don't expect. Right? She didn't plan for Jesus to die. She planned for him to be her savior. And now her savior's dead. Like that's crushing. I didn't plan for my dad to die when I was 17. Right? I had an expectation that he'd come to my high school graduation, that he'd come to my wedding, that he'd hold my kids someday. Guys, death has a way of just dashing us at times. It takes away the the things we expected. They're no longer there. Mary had also witnessed a crazy crucifixion. She saw Jesus all bloodied and, and beaten up, hanging on the cross. Like, that's traumatic. She saw evil triumph over good, or so it seemed. All right, how many of us, we can watch the news and you see mass shooting this, mass shooting that. Doesn't it seem at times that evil is triumphing over good? That's what Mary thought. And Jesus asked her, why are you crying? I think he was calling her right now, trying to ask her that question. <laughs> um, why are you crying? You know, we weep because of sorrow, 
But we need to process our sorrows in light of Jesus' resurrection. Mary couldn't see the body because Jesus had risen from the dead. And her comment was, they've taken away my Lord and I don't know where they've put him. She was still focused on trying to embalm the body, yet Jesus is standing right in front of her asking the question and she doesn't even recognize him. How many times, like Mary, maybe we've been disappointed? We haven't seen the big picture. Jesus has been right there standing saying, Mary, I'm here. And he's calling our name saying, I'm here. And we don't even see him. It's like John Cena. Hello, do you see me, right? Jesus is there. And he's calling our name. He's saying, I'm here. And we miss it. Mary needed to process the evil she had witnessed on Friday. She was overwhelmed. The evil deeds of the crucifixion are a reason for sorrow, yet Jesus invited her with the question to process her sorrow in light of his resurrection. She didn't fully recognize at that moment that he had risen from the dead, but him being risen from the dead changes everything. So when we see evil in this world, when we see horrible things that that go on all around us, what does it look like to process that evil to process that sorrow in light of the resurrection, that Jesus came to redeem and to make all things new. We're not going to find it here on this earth, but there's going to be a day when we go to heaven and all things are going to be changed. You know, I'm, I'm sure Mary felt that when she saw Jesus on the cross, that it was over. She had forgotten all the things that he had said about him rising from the dead, but yet he came and, and he made all things new for her. So then he asked this next question. Who are you looking for? Who was Mary looking for? She was looking for Jesus. Except she was looking for the crucified Jesus. She was looking for a body to be found that she could put all the spices and do what needed to be done to prepare Jesus and to honor his, to honor his body, to honor his name. She had forgotten that there had been prophecies about Jesus coming and, and dying. Did you know in Isaiah, Ed mentioned this a little bit. In Isaiah 53, it says, but he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. This is Isaiah, hundreds of years before Jesus came to earth. And this is the prophecy. This is the one in 10 to the 17th zeros. That's amazing. 17 zeros, think about it. It's only six for a million, right? How many more for a trillion? 17 is ridiculous. David is equally explicit in Psalm 22 where he says in haunting words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It goes on to describe in detail death by crucifixion. Hundreds of years before crucifixion was even a thing. So when Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me on the cross? It's not just that he's making that up first time. He's quoting Psalm 22 when David prophesied it. And I'm sure he's taking all these scribes and Pharisees that know the word in and out. And they're like, oh, wait a minute. I've heard that before. That's in the Psalms. So who was Mary looking for? Who are we looking for today? She was looking for the crucified Savior. But today we've got a Savior who's risen. We've got a Savior who has ascended into heaven. And he said, look, it's important that I go to the Father. Because if I go to the Father, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send you what? I'm going to send you a helper in the Holy Spirit. Jesus turns our sorrows into hope. He was signaling a new relationship with him. He was signaling that after I ascend, you're going to have my presence spiritually, not physically. 
Mary saw Jesus that day, he turned her sorrow into hope. Jesus will do the same for us. But then it doesn't stop there. Right in the middle of of Mary wondering, like, why is this person asking me, why are you crying and who are you looking for? What does Jesus do? He says, Mary. How powerful is that? He calls her by name. It like, it wakes her up. Scales fall from her eyes. Now she's no longer blinded to who he is. She sees him. Jesus! Like, there's a moment right there when he calls her name. Now, what if in verse 16, it was your name? Because it is. Right? Jesus calls all of us by name. It's not like, oh yeah, you know what? I forgot your name. Could you tell me again? No, that's what I say, right? When I walk up to you on a Sunday morning, I'm like, tell me your name. I know it's the 10th time I've asked you, 10 Sundays in a row. No, Jesus knows your name because he saw you before you were born. He saw you before you were in your mother's room. He saw you even this day coming to church. And he's like, I want a relationship with you. I want to know you. Jesus died on the cross for all of us. He calls us by name. We're going to show a video right now about the second eyewitness account. It's from someone here in our congregation about how Jesus called his name. Would you watch with me? My name is Dave Ayotte, and my wife Rhonda and I have been members here at Shiloh since 2009. My parents were devout Catholics. And I was raised in a Catholic school. I went to Catholic school through the eighth grade. I did have some idea of of the Lord, but it was really a religion and not really a personal relationship. As I got a little older, I wanted to rebel. And as I graduated high school, I went into the military. After serving in the Air Force, I was able to secure an early release. Uh, I got involved with quite a few guys in the bars and, and stuff prior to getting out of the military in southern Idaho, who were members of a motorcycle gang named the Renegades. And a small group of them had came north into Idaho to charter out new territory. And when I got out of the military, I went down to Southern California with them and became a member of the Renegade motorcycle gang. That part of my life was, I was doing what I wanted to do, whether it would be drinking or drugs, fights, it it didn't matter, or I'd just get on the bike and take off and, and ride. I was doing what I wanted to do in my first time in my life, and I was experiencing that freedom. As that time of my life progressed a little bit, the guy that was basically the president of the chapter of the motorcycle gang that I was involved with in Idaho, he went north into Montana to scope out some territory for us to go into. Word got back to the rest of us down in Idaho that Rex, which was the president of our our chapter, had gotten involved with some Jesus freaks up in Montana and was getting out of the club and and following these Jesus freaks. So two of us decided to go up to Montana and bring Rex back. So me and this other guy hitchhiked from Boise, Idaho up to a little town called Thompson Falls, Montana. We were hitching a ride with a, a bread delivery truck. And we were sitting in the truck and we had no idea where we were we had no idea where we would find Rex. We're sitting there, and Rex, the guy we were looking for, is crossing the street. We jumped out of the truck, ran over, grabbed Rex, spun him around, and he says, I've been praying to see you guys. We're like, huh? We said, yeah, whatever, whatever. We've come to take you back. He said, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll go back with you guys. 
He says, but spend a couple of days up here with me. We went with him, and he brought us back to a house where he had met some friends. And Bo, the guy that was with me, and myself were sitting there having a couple of beers. And they're talking to us about Jesus. And they invited us to a service that night at their church. We said, yeah, whatever. We didn't want to let Rex get out of our sight either. So they bring us to this little church, and as we walked in, it was about 45, 50 people. They didn't shy away from us. They didn't avoid us. We were in our gang colors, and they sang some songs, and, and something inside of me started stirring. All this to me was just really confusing, to say the least. I knew enough about the Bible and about religion but this I'd never seen. But I immediately felt under conviction with the motorcycle gang. That night, I made up my mind that I was gonna get out of that. As we went along, we decided that we're gonna go back. So Rex said, yeah, I'll come with you guys. We're gonna go back down to Idaho. So we got on the road and started hitchhiking. Three of us in a little Volkswagen Beetle with this other guy. Well, Rex is just witnessing to the driver and just talking to him about Jesus and and I'm just sitting there in the back, right around the middle of the night sometime. When he pulls over the side of the road, Rex gets out on the snowbank, and they're on their knees outside praying, and this guy is accepting the Lord. And I'm going, what is going on? And we get back in the car, and they're praising the Lord. And for the next several days, I wrestled with the Lord. It didn't make sense, and I didn't know what to do. I was walking around. It was a Sunday evening. It was a rainy cold drizzle and I saw this church they were having an evening service and I walked in and you know they're singing and they're praising the Lord and their hands are raised and and I'm just sitting in the back just taking it all in walked out of that church past a Catholic church so I go over to the rectory and I knock at the door and priest answers the door and I says Father can I have a few minutes of your time I'd just like to come in and talk to you and he looked at me and he says if you need some help there's a place right up the street they can give you some food and he shut the door The instant, the instant that door shut, I turned around, the Holy Spirit just came down upon me. I couldn't physically see it, but I felt like a light was shining directly down on me through the rain, through from heaven. My hand went up in the air and I just pointed straight up. And I says, it is about you, I get it. It's about you. Feel yourself. I want to know you. I need to know you. From there, my life has changed dramatically. He has shown me my need for a Savior. And that man you saw is right over there. (laughs) You can ask him about it afterwards. It's crazy. It's crazy. You know, the the thing is, um, there's always a story to be told, and then there's the rest of the story. 
So I was asking Dave yesterday, I called him up and I'm like, Dave, like no one gets out of a motorcycle gang. What were you planning on doing? He's like, Greg, I'm I'm not going to go into that, but (laughs) you're right. No one just gets out of a motorcycle. I'm like, so Dave, how did you get out? And he goes, you know, the miracle about all of this was I made my decision that night to follow Jesus. And like one week later, the gang gets into a fight and all of the officers of the motorcycle gang are killed. And if Dave had been there, if he hadn't gotten out, he would have been killed with all the rest of them. And then there was no motorcycle gang anymore, so they never came after Dave. Praise the Lord! <laughs> so I'm, I'm telling you, when God calls your name, you better be listening. You better be listening when he calls your name. And, and I know that God has a moment for each one of us when he calls each of us by name. And that's the moment that maybe you've been in churches, maybe you've, you've seen different things, but if you've never taken a step to say, Jesus, I want to know you personally. He died on the cross for you, for your sins, that you would have a relationship with him. Not that you join a church. It's not about going to church. It's about having a relationship with him. But when Jesus calls your name and the, and the scales and the blinders come off your eyes and all of a sudden you see, wow, he died on the cross for me to save me from my sin. That's the day. That's the day that you come to him. So Jesus is calling each one of us. And Romans 5.21 says this, For God made Christ who never sinned, right? He was sinless. He was perfect. God made him who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could, made, we could be made right with God through Christ. Right? That's the crazy thing that, that Josh told us. God's standard is perfection. You're one-tenth below that. And you're separated from God because of your sin. He can't have you in his presence. So how are we ever going to have a relationship with God? It's only because Jesus died on the cross. It's only because he's the lamb of God, the final sacrifice that paid the price for your sin, whatever that sin is. So the question I have this morning, three questions actually. Why are you crying? Right? Where are you in your life? What's happening are there, are there, is there profound disappointment, missed expectations? What, what is going on in your life? Is it anxiety? Is it depression? Right? What are, who are you looking for in the middle of your pain, in the middle of your sorrow? Because I'll tell you this, Jesus is looking for each one of us. He knows your name. He was there before you were born, and he's calling your name right now. And the quest, final question I want to ask is, will you answer when Jesus calls your name? Right? What will you answer? Will, will you say yes to God? Will you come to him and say, Jesus, would you forgive me? I'm a sinner. Jesus, I can't live to myself for myself anymore. See, he died on the cross for our sin and he asked, will we die to ourselves that he could live through us? It's like that old country song, Jesus, take the wheel. Well, guess what? He can't take the wheel when you're holding on to it, right? He's, he's not gonna wrestle you for the wheel, the steering wheel of your life. You've got to say, no, Jesus, I'm moving to the passenger seat. I'm going to die to myself, Jesus, because you've already died for me. Would you take the wheel? Would you be my Lord and my Savior? And we see the scripture in Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe him in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it's by believing in your heart that you're made right with God. And it's by openly declaring your faith that you're saved. So I see two things here. Openly declare. You know what? We can pray in a moment to receive Jesus. That's the open, openly declaring. That we, we pray and we pray out loud together. But then it says this word, believe in your heart. 
You know, and this is where a lot of us get confused because I believe that two plus two is four and three plus three is six, but I don't believe that in my heart. I believe it in my head because I learned it, right? You ever learn those times tables when you're young? My mom would get the flashcards and we'd, you know, have to do drills. But knowing something in your head is not the same thing as knowing it in your heart. And probably the best way that I can explain what this word believe in your heart means is, is by this. When I was young, my dad told me a story. I didn't realize it was true. I thought he made it up until I went to Niagara Falls to see what he was talking about. And he said that in the 1800s, there was a man named Blondin who stretched a tightrope wire across Niagara Falls. And he would walk with the pole, right? You've probably seen him, you know, where they, they walk on the, on the tightrope wire. He'd walk all the way across Niagara Falls in the 1800s. We're not talking like we've seen it on TV, you know, 10 years ago. This was in the 1800s. And he did it so many times for different promotions that one day he asked his manager, do you believe that I can walk across the falls on this tightrope wire? And the manager says, Blondin, like, I'm your manager. I've seen you do this a number of times. So then Blondin says, all right, if you believe that I can walk across the falls on the wire, then climb on piggyback. Hang on my back and walk across with me. All right, saints, that's, that's the difference of believing in your head versus believing in your heart. And you can go online, you know, fact check me. Go online, just search Blondin and Niagara Falls. And you're going to see a guy hanging on, on another guy's back as he walks across the tightrope wire. And that's what Jesus is asking us today. Do you believe, not just in your head, not just coming to a church, but do you believe in who I am that you're going to give me your life? You're going to put your life in my hands. That's the invitation that God gives us this morning. So, and I want to give that invitation to all of us that are here. Maybe you've been to church multiple times. Maybe, maybe you've heard the gospel message. But today, for the first time, just like Dave, all of a sudden you're like, I get it now. You see, it may not be the light shining through the rain, but Jesus is here and he's shining to each one of us saying, would you accept me? Would you put your faith in me? Would you believe in me? Would you die to yourself so that I could be alive in you? So if you've never prayed that prayer, I want to pray it here in a minute. And I want to give you an opportunity to pray with me as well. Maybe you've prayed that prayer when you were younger. Now you're older and you're like, Greg, I've, I've walked away from God. I'm not really living for God anymore. I've walked away. How do I come back? The way we come back to Jesus is the same way we found him initially. We say a prayer. We believe in our heart and we confess with our mouth that he's Lord and we say a prayer. So if you'd like to pray that prayer with me, let's bow our heads together, close our eyes. And I want you to pray with me. Could you all pray with me now? Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and that you died on the cross for my sin. I ask that you forgive me and cleanse me. Jesus, I ask you take the wheel of my life. I'm moving over to the passenger seat. Would you guide me, direct me, and help me to live by your spirit? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, and maybe it's for the first time you prayed it, You're just starting a relationship with Jesus. It's not the end all be all. This is just the beginning. And I have a book I want to give you called Living in Christ. As we close here in a minute, we're going to have people up front with with prayer team lanyards on. You can go to any one of us. You can come to me. You can come to them. We'd like to give you a book and just uh, help this, you know, help you as you grow in, in your relationship with Jesus. Would you stand with me as we close? 
I also want to mention, maybe you came back to Jesus today or maybe you gave, uh, you gave your heart to Jesus for the first time. Next week when we have water baptisms, you want to be here in the service. You really want to be here. It's so important as, as we come to faith in Jesus, water baptism is where we say, look, I'm not going to keep it between me and God. I'm going to tell everybody. And, and that's what we're doing. We're making a statement of faith when we get water baptized. Amen. So thank you all for being here. We're going to close with one last song. And then if you've accepted Jesus, if you prayed with me this morning, I'd love to see you in the, at the altar. Prayer team, you can come up when the song is done and, and lead us in one final song. Thanks. I cast my mind to Calvary where Jesus bled and died for me. I see his wounds, his hands, his feet, my Savior on that curse tree. His body
you this morning. Lord, thank you for this time. We get to honor you. Lord, and as we go and be with our families this morning, Father, I just pray your light would shine in these situations. I pray for family members, people who aren't saved. Maybe some of you are praying for a miracle this holiday. Lord, we declare, Holy Spirit, have your way. We bless you. We honor you. We say you can do it, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Happy Easter. Have a great day, everyone.